Good morning. Let's take our Bibles and turn to John chapter 14. As you're doing that, I'd like to pray. I know we've already done that several times this morning. There's a few more urgent matters that have come up. And certainly the most urgent before us is looking at God's word. And so, Father, I pray that as we look into your word this morning that you would give us all clarity and help us to understand from the Spirit of God the truth that you long for us not only to apprehend but to apply for those of us who are in Jesus Christ. Lord, we do thank you for those who are yet still struggling this morning, uh, but you are giving them ability. We thank you for little Sawyer, uh, who um, was in the hospital but yet is coming home, or ha- is now home. We're thankful for that, uh, little baby Shaposka. Lord, we pray for Joy Potter's grandson, great-grandson. Uh, that is, his life looks to be in the balance even yet this morning as a 16-year-old with great disability. Lord, we pray that you would comfort the family, that you would encourage them, and, oh, Father, that you would reach in to that very room and that they would know that you are the Father uh, who gives good gifts to all of us. And in your timing, um, your ways are perfect. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You're with me in John chapter 14. We're heading back to the Gospel of John. And we're here in the upper room discourse. And so for those of you, we're going to kind of review a little bit, but hopefully move forward at the same time. We're in the upper room discourse. And just a reminder that this is really where the disciples in Jesus have an elongated conversation. We have the 12 apostles at this point in the upper room. We have the 12 minus Judas. Um, These men had been following Jesus for three years. And now Jesus is in a dark room, dimly lit, and he's telling them, I am going away, and you must remain. And so in verse 1, he says what? Let not your hearts be troubled. That is the immediate and specific context of those words. But he also says it again in this discourse in verse 27. You could see that there. And then if you wanted to, you don't have to this morning, but in John chapter 16, verse 6, he repeats yet again, do not let your hearts be troubled. This is a troubling time, no doubt. Three years ago, before this time, Jesus came up to Peter he came up to John. He came up to James. And he, by the very person of who he is, they put down their, their fishermen nets. Remember that? And they followed him. Could you imagine doing that? Jesus from Nazareth, a carpenter's son. These men on their very word, on Jesus' very word, quit their jobs. They lived a no man's life, moving out of their own homes. They gave their future to him while leaving their past, their families, their friends. And along the way, they saw Jesus' power firsthand, demonstrating that he is the Son of God. Remember the first miracle that they saw? They tasted the water that had turned to wine. They saw the healing of the official son who was near death. 
They saw a lame man walk at the pool of Bethesda. They participated in the miraculous distribution of five loaves and two fish, turning into enough to feed 5,000. They witnessed the blind man see Jesus walk on water. They hugged their very friend Lazarus, who had died, and yet Jesus raised from the dead. And so now this same Jesus, who they've been following for three years, who they've depended on, who they've learned from, who they've trusted in, take comfort from. He says, you must remain, and I must go. So do not let your hearts be troubled. And you know, we're only two Sundays in to this new year, and we've had two funerals as a church family, our dear Suzek family and our dear Jasko Norris family. We're only two Sundays into this new year, and we've had five rather serious emergency room visits as a church family already. This life throws at it a bunch of trouble, doesn't it? There's a lot of things that often do not go our own way. We often are perplexed by the the seeming chaos, almost like the wind-driven snow out there. What's happening, God, and why? But Jesus wants us to know that our faith can be confidently lived out because of who he's given to us. Our faith is not based according to the emotion of the hour. Jesus' news was shocking. It really was at a bad time. (laughs) They're hidden away, by the way, in the upper room. Jesus has an arrest warrant out for him. Jesus says that there's going to be a traitor. There is a traitor among you. And Peter, bold, courageous Peter, the one who speaks out for everybody all the time, right? That guy. Jesus says, you're going to deny me three times. This is not a good time, Jesus, to leave. And so they respond emotionally, and Jesus apprehends that. And he wants us to understand by extension that our lives, our faith, is not based on emotion, but it's based on something altogether differently. And aren't you glad that's true? I don't know about you, but, you know, I'm not one of those people that tend to wake up in the morning and start singing, I love you, Lord. I wish I were, but I'll just confess, it's confession time, I'm not. (laughs) You know, I'm one of those people that wake up and say, Lord, I would rather go back to bed right now. If the snooze button is an emotion, I have a lot of it. I, this morning, I've been the, the, the way the wind hits our house, it hits right above our bedroom, the, the back wall of our bedroom where we're sleeping. And so it hits our house. And it wakes me up. I'm kind of a light sleeper sometimes. And uh, I didn't get a lot of sleep. So, Lord, I, I love you. I'm going to snooze myself back to sleep. I wish that I had high emotion often and starting out my day, but I don't. 
Jesus says that it's not about your crying for me. It's not about your worrying or your grieving over me because I'm going. No, he says, look at verse 15. If you, what? Love me, you're not going to cry. You're not going to fret. You're not going to have high emotion. That's not what faith is about. That's not what I do in a heart. Certainly our faith can often be accompanied by emotion. I'm not poo-pooing that. But what I am saying this morning is simply this. If you love me, Jesus says, you will what? keep my commandments. Jesus doesn't want a faith based on emotion. He wants a faith that is demonstrated by ethic, by action, by obedience. And certainly Jesus is not saying that this this is the means by which we get faith. In other words, he's not saying that by works you're saved. In fact, we know opposite. By, by grace are you saved through faith, not of works. So it's not the means by any stretch of the imagination. But it is the ethic. It is what those who love Jesus do. They will produce, they will have in themselves an obedience to who Jesus is. They will believe and their belief will show up in action. And so Jesus is clear that love for him is not primarily demonstrated by emotion, but it's demonstrated by right living in obedience. And this is so critical to the Christian life that Jesus gives us a resource. Do you understand that this morning? It is so critical that Jesus wants you to obey him. Those of you who have faith in him, that love him. It is so critical this morning that though Jesus leaves, he is giving to us another person of the Godhead. Look at verse 16 with me. Jesus says this, If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give another helper to be with you forever. I just realized I'm in the wrong translation. Let me change translations. My apologies. I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. That's been so close so far. That he may be with you forever. That's actually exactly the same translation. That's good. ESV and NASB have the same wording there. So Jesus says, it's so critical. I'm giving to you the Holy Spirit. Because obedient living is not optional. It's not an optional idea for the Christian. It's not just for those kind of Christians over there. It's so embedded in the Christian life that there is a person of the Godhead now in you to accomplish that. Think about that. The Spirit of God takes emotion and he replaces it with ethic, with action. He changes doubt into doing. He transforms fear into fearsome obedience. And so the Holy Spirit produces faith that consistently lived, that is consistently lived and conscientiously kept. And I want us to first of all see this morning that the ability to consistently live our faith not only comes from the Holy Spirit, but it really comes from the whole triune Godhead. The ability to consistently live our faith comes from the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit here. Jesus cares about how we live. He makes that statement up front. He says six times, 
in 15 verses, between verse 15 and verse 29, in some form or fashion, if you love me, keep my commandments. He says that 15, one out of almost every four verses, in the next 15 verses, Jesus repeats that phrase to some degree. Jesus wants us to know that. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Love is critical. It is mentioned eight times in the next nine verses. And so it's central to the thought of the text, and it's a great Christian theme for our life. But the triune Godhead enables that. First, look with me, Jesus asks. See that? It's right there in the text. Jesus asks the Father. And you know, whatever Jesus asks the Father, it happens. Remember in verse 28 of chapter 12, you don't have to go back there, but Jesus asks God to be glorified. And suddenly we have this loud sound from heaven, and what? God says, I have been glorified, and I will be glorified yet again. Because Jesus asked. Jesus always asks according to the will of the Father who will do it. And so if Jesus asks the Father for you and for me to obey him, those who love him, it will happen. It's effectual in that way. And Jesus gives us the other person of the Godhead, the Spirit, to allow that to happen. You know, I'm reminded of Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, where Jesus, we're told there that Jesus, by the word of his power, is upholding all things. You and I are breathing in and out this morning. This building is held together. Yes, it's held together by two-by-fours and nails and screws and, and, and all kinds of things. But the very reality that these atoms and all the, 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 the material is actually existing is because God, through the Son, Jesus, wills it to happen. It's not an utter chaos. And so if Jesus says, don't fear because I'm going... We can claim that truth. The disciples can claim that truth. If Jesus says that I'm enough, Jesus is enough. If Jesus says that I'm the life, Jesus is the life. If Jesus says I'm the way, he's the way. If I'm the truth, I'm the truth. If Jesus says there's hope, there's hope. And if he says you will, if you love me, keep my commandments, those who love him will keep his commandments. They just will. It doesn't mean that we're going to do it perfectly. We keep on reading, and we get that Peter demonstrates right away, right? No way is he going to do this perfectly. In fact, Jesus has to have a fireside chat with him after post-resurrection and ask him three times, Jesus, uh, Peter, I mean, do you love me? Then what? Feed my sheep. Then do what I told you to do. Don't just wallow around trying to fish. You're a lousy fisherman anyway, remember? He didn't catch a thing. He didn't catch a thing that whole night. Until he saw Jesus, and then Jesus gave more fish than that little net can handle. So the Father, uh, Jesus asks, and whatever Jesus asks, the Father gives. We see that in verse 16. What we could say is this, really, that the Father gives again. Think about that. He gives the Spirit of God now. Who has he already given? They're looking at him in the upper room, the Son of God. For God so loved the world that he gave. 
his only begotten son. And so we see that Jesus asks the Father, and the Father gives, and he gives again. And that's really true to our text, because the text, our text says that he will give another helper. You know, in that English, that English word, another, we don't have a whole lot of way to differentiate. But in the Greek, there's, a, there's really two different kinds of another. If you want to hold your finger here, and well, most via devices, so that's kind of not that's pointless now. Galatians chapter 1, right? You can turn over there. There's an illustration, and this verse really aptly illustrates it, Galatians chapter 1, verse 6, the difference between the Greek word, there's two different Greek words, really, of another. You know, I can say to my children, have another piece of candy. They would love to hear that. And that just means have another of the same kind. Have another candy. You know, but I could tell my children, and I often do, Right? We will go to the candy shop another day. They don't want to hear that. But that's a different day. That's not the same. We're not going to do it today. So there's a difference of how we use the term another. And in Galatians chapter 1, there's two different anothers being used here. Chapter 1, verse 6. Paul says, I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting God, the Father. He's talking to the Galatians, who called you by the grace of Christ for, and this is the word another in Greek. It's the word heteros. Your translation, Nasby, actually doesn't even use the word another here. It uses the word different for another different kind of gospel. In other words, Paul says, I proclaim to you the gospel of Jesus Christ, but yet you're actually following after something that's altogether different. It's a different kind of gospel. It's a false gospel. It's not real. It's not based on truth. And then he says in verse 7, which is really not Another, and that's the same word that we have in John chapter one, uh, John chapter fourteen. Another alas of the same kind. And why am I making such a big deal about this? Because as we turn back to John chapter fourteen, Jesus is asking the Father, who is going to give another helper of the same kind. Well, what's the same kind? Jesus is looking right at their faces. And they're perplexed, and they're disturbed, and they're in distress. Jesus, don't leave us. And Jesus kindly and tenderly says, I'm going to ask the Father, and I'm going to give you another just like me. The Father's going to give another just like me. I helped you, he says. I comforted you. I prayed for you, even though you fell asleep. I gave you the word of truth, the very words of life. There's going to be another in your life from the Godhead, just like me. Distinct person, but another of the same kind. That is the Spirit of God. And you know, in some ways, this is a little bit of a proof text that Jesus is God. Think about it. Not too many, not too many uh, of, of the cults out there will, that deny Jesus will say that the Spirit of God is not God. But they will say that, that Jesus the person is not God. And what Jesus is saying here is, 
there's another of the same kind. It's, it's actually deity from the Father, from the Godhead. And so it's, by some extension, an example or proof of Jesus' deity along the way. It's another of the same kind. And so the Father gives not just another, but he gives another what here? Helper. And many of you, you probably know, that's not the word parakeet. Right? It's the word paraclete. Right? You've probably heard that word. It's one of the more famous, if you will, Greek words. Jesus, the Father gives another helper of the same kind, another paraclete. That's the Greek word. And you know what? There's really not a good English word. I think that's why preachers often use the word paraclete. Because there's really not a good English word that, that kind of encompasses all of what this word means. And so... Um, I'll do a little cheat here from the New English translation. They have some notes on this that I thought was, would be helpful for us. And they say that this word uh, can really be an advocate. And I think that's the word that they use in their translation. Our word helper in the NASB or the ESV, comforter or counselor, can be appropriate English translations, but it's very difficult because the word parakletos, paraclete, is a very difficult word to translate. There's no single English word that exactly has the same range or depth and breadth of meaning that this Greek word has. They say, for instance, that comforter is used by some older English translations. It appears as old as Wycliffe, so probably the 14th century, where it kind of started showing up. But today, it's, it kind of more suggests a quilt or a sympathetic mourner at a funeral, more, of, more someone who's just more sympathetic than anything. And that's not quite the full range of what this word helper or paraclete means. Uh, counselor could be another way, but it's, it's not adequate because it's, it's too broad. Like, it's... it's the Spirit of God is not a marriage counselor or a camp counselor. He's more of a, a maybe a, a legal counselor, but not necessarily that narrow either. He's a helper or an assistant. That certainly can be used, and our NASB translation uses that here. But, but one of the downsides to that word is helper or assistant often seems subordinate to. And certainly in this case, he's not subordinate to you and to me. And so, how can we best understand this word when Jesus says, I'm going to send another, I'm going to ask the Father to send another, and that's another helper? How can we best? Well, it's, it's, it's kind of staring them right in the face. You want to understand how the Spirit ministers to you and to me? Read the Gospels and look at Jesus' life. How did Jesus minister to his disciples? He was present with them. You say, well, the Spirit's not the Spirit, we're told, is in you. He ministers the word of truth to them, speaking the very bread of life. We'll see that the, the Spirit of truth here ministers the same to us. He comforts them. He prays for them. And so Jesus, in that very same role, Though he leaves, we will have another, just like Jesus himself. And so Jesus asks the Father, and the Father gives. And we see that the Father gives the Spirit who will be with us forever, verse 16 says. 
And so while Jesus and the Spirit are very much the same kind of helper, there are a few differences. There are some distinctions. They're distinct persons of the Godhead. And so they have a paraclete or a helping ministry, but Jesus here is actually articulating a little bit of the difference between Jesus' help and the Spirit's help. And one of the ways he does that is he says, the Spirit will be with you forever. What does forever mean? Forever is forever. There's no terminus. It's not true of Jesus. Jesus is leaving. He's going to be with his Father. His disciples will remain. By extension, Jesus is, is off the earth presently, and, and we are here, and we remain. So there's a great distinction between Jesus' ministry and the Spirit's ministry. But there's also another ramification of the ministry of the Spirit versus Jesus' ministry. And that is Jesus as the God-man incarnate, Jesus as taking up flesh. He was in one place at one time. And think about it. Think about how wonderful it is that Jesus would go and be with the Father. Not only did he provide redemption for us, not only does he advocate for us at the right hand of the throne of God, not only is his work final and complete, and we rest in his sacrifice for our righteousness, but he going sends the Spirit who can be with you in South Africa and who can be with you in Mentor, Ohio. Who can be with you at work while your spouse is at home. Even though you're both grieving the loss of the same child. And so Jesus' ministry was a ministry of proximity. But the Spirit's ministry is very personal with each one of us. And so, you know, one of the implications of this is you and I, you know, we may feel alone, and you know what I mean by that. Not wanting to be alone, but staring at nothing else and wondering if anyone cares or if there's any hope or help out there. My friends, at that moment, wrestle yourself together and remember that the Spirit of God is with you, ministering to you, crying out with words that you may not even be able to articulate. And He loves you, and He knows your pain, and He knows the truth, and He can minister to you. And you know he often does. And so the Holy Spirit's ministry is effective because Jesus asks. Jesus sympathized with the very trouble, the very distress that was staring his disciples in the face because he was going to leave. And yet his very words is, I'm going to ask. His very words are, I'm going to ask. And I'm going to send another. That's effective ministry because Jesus asks for it. So don't you doubt the Spirit's effective ability in your life. Don't doubt the power that he can minister to you even though you can't see him. And oftentimes you can't feel him. 
But oh my friends, he's there and he's effective, just as effective as Jesus himself. Jesus asks the Father and the Father gives. So the Father gives it, it's sufficient. You know, there's long lines at the return stations, right? In every store after Christmas in January. There ain't any long line in the return for anything that God ever gives to you, believer. There's never a reason to ever return something God gives to you. It's never defective. It's never the wrong color. It's never the wrong size. That's flattering. They thought I was that size. I ain't that size anymore. None of those things are ever true. What's true is when the Father gives you something, it is sufficient. Period. So bind yourselves up in the fact this morning that the Spirit of God has been asked by Jesus and given through the Father, by the Father, in you, believer. And he's enduring because the Spirit remains forever. You can't lose him. He seals you for the day. No matter what you do, It's the Spirit of God that works in you, not your own righteousness. It's Jesus' righteousness. And so we have the ability to obey the Spirit's ministry in our lives, but we also have the ability to know what truth is so that we can obey. And that's really the second part that we're going to see. Not only can we live consistent lives because Jesus asks the Father and the Father gives the Spirit who remains for us, with us forever, but we also have the, the ability to conscientiously, right, through our minds, keep our faith. Because we know the truth. Because we have the spirit of truth. You remember those early years when you were a Christian? Maybe some of you, I know, we have several who have just been born again. And you're finding it true in your life for someone who you're discipling where it just seems like every week there's something new that the Spirit of God points out that you need to change. And by God's grace, you're doing, you're working on, you're, you're convicted of it, you, you, you sin, you repent, and, and you're, you keep on trying. All right, I'm no longer going to yell at my wife, or I'm no longer going to lie about my performance at work, or I'm no longer going to clock in 15 minutes early and stay out in my car and, you know, or, or, or diddle-dally or whatever it is. Right? I'm going to actually live an ethical, real Christian life. And I try to do those things for God's glory. And the Spirit of God tends to unpack that along the way. And for some of us, we're 20, 30, even 50 years in the Lord. And every once in a while, the Spirit of God says, Whoa! Really? I don't think so. That's not truth. That's what you want to do, but that's not truth. And so we understand this ability from the Spirit. Whether you're new in the Lord or whether you're 50 years in the Lord, we understand this ability for the Spirit of God to minister truth to us so that we can conscientiously live out our faith. And we see in verse 17, it's because the Spirit, the helper here, is called the Spirit of truth. And this can mean that he's the true Spirit. And I'm sure that uh, there's some reality to that, that that is true but I don't know if that's necessarily the force here um, certainly there's, there's false spirits 
Paul in Ephesians chapter 2 says that the world is actually energized. The world system, that which is against God, is actually energized. I, that, that's the, the Greek word there, and I kind of always think about the energizer bunny. You ever, does he still, is he still around in commercials, right? Fluffy pink ears, he just keeps on going, right? The world's, you know, there's a tornado, there's a fire, he just keeps on going, right? And that's really what, what the scripture says. That's what Satan, the, the, the false spirit, is seeking to do. He's energizing this world against God. And so it's true that the spirit is the true spirit. But it's also true in the sense that just like Jesus, another helper, just like Jesus, he is speaking truth. Now, for you and for me, we don't typically hear, I don't think so, I don't, just so you know, I have not heard voices Okay, so you don't have to worry about me and medication or anything like that, right? So uh, we don't typically hear voices saying, this is true from the Spirit of God. But we do have God's Word, and in a moment we're going to kind of work through how the Spirit of God is actually the one who primarily has ministered that truth to us today. But Jesus was the truth. He gave the bread of life. And so... The Spirit is the Spirit of truth. His ministry is that to minister truth. Turn over to John 15, verse 26. It says, When the Helper comes, again, the Spirit of God, whom I will send to you from the Father, so very similar to our text here, that is the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. He's going to, he's going to witness the truth. And then we see that same line continuing in, verse, uh, in chapter 16, verse 12. Turn over there. Jesus says, I have many more things to tell you. This is still in that upper room discourse where Jesus is saying, hey, you know what? I'm going to leave now. And before he leaves, he says, you don't know it all. I've got a lot more to tell you. Could you imagine just stopping at the Gospels? You think there's a lot of debate in Christianity today about the right way to interpret something? Try to interpret a lot of Jesus' sayings and ways if we didn't have the epistles. Jesus says, I have a lot more that I'm going to tell you. But Jesus, you're leaving. How are you going to do that? Verse, six, uh, verse 12, I have many more things I'm going to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. It wasn't the right time. He just needed to tell him, don't. Let not your hearts be troubled. But when he, that's the helper, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. So what's, what's Jesus saying? What is, what is Jesus talking about that the spirit of God will guide? Is this some subjective thing that I feel the spirit or I don't? I hear a word from the Spirit or I, I don't. I'm either one of those or I'm not. No, what he's saying simply is at this point in time, I mean, the scriptures that the disciples had wasn't even, they, the Gospels weren't even written yet, folks. I mean, the Gospels are unfolding before his disciples' eyes. 
The Gospels will be recorded after the fact later on in the disciples' lives through the Holy Spirit, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. At this point, all they had was the Old Testament. And Jesus says, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you need more truth. I'm going to give you more truth. So how's that going to happen? How's that going to happen? Well, we, we, we see the Spirit of God give uh, the Gospels through those men who are in the upper room primarily witnessing his life and his words, his ways. Then we see the Spirit of God actually doing what? Enabling them to do some pretty remarkable things in the early church. Right? And we could call that the Acts of the Apostles, but we could also call that the Acts of the Holy Spirit. And so they're, they're doing miraculous things. They're doing quite amazing things. Why? Because the Spirit of God is witnessing that they are true disciples of His. They are the Apostles. They are the sent ones. And they have the authority. And so then we have the book of Acts. And then we have, largely, the epistles. Written by these same men, plus Paul, who is an apostle untimely born, that is, that is not with them, but nonetheless empowered by the spirit of truth to do what? To, un to, to interpret for us the ways and the works of Christ in the Gospels through the epistles. And Jesus says that, you know what? Look at verse 17 back in John chapter 14. He says, you know what? The world cannot receive any of these things. The world cannot receive this kind of truth. They cannot receive the spirit of truth, let alone the recorded truth that he gives. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 when he says that the unnatural man, or the natural man, excuse me, cannot accept the things of the Spirit of God. Their foolishness to him. In verse 17, in John chapter 14, uh, Jesus says they cannot receive the Spirit of truth. They cannot see him. You see that? They cannot know him. And you talk to people, right? And, and you do what you do as a Christian. And you believe what you believe because of what the Bible says. And, and they look at you and they say, what? Are you, are you really going to base your life off of a book written over 2,000 years ago? Are you really going to orient your whole life around a man who lived 2,000 some years ago? You're really going to believe that Jesus healed people? That he raised people from the dead? That, that, that you can have eternal life just simply by trusting in one man? But the Spirit's ministry is very present even here this morning because you and I say, yes, absolutely. It is true because the spirit of truth has ministered into your life saying that Jesus of Nazareth is the Savior, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You and I have been ministered to by the Spirit because as our text says, you know him and he abides in you. 
So we have this amazing ability to believe the Spirit of God and the Word of God. And so we, we have a great opportunity. We have a great opportunity to encourage each other this morning. That you and I, as we look around, we could say, yes, 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 we do believe in the Spirit. We do believe that the Spirit has ministered to us and caused us to believe the truth of Scripture. And you know, it's no less effective to those of you who are two or three generations of, of Christian. You know, we often, we often think about the, the first generation Christian and, 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 and how it's like, oh, they saw their life change and, and they, they thought, I, I mean, they just, their whole world's upside down now. It's just so real for them. But you know, if you're a second or third generation Christian, it's almost like your grandparents believed it, your parents kind of forced it on you, and, and you know, I'm just, I'm just a Christian because my parents are a Christian. And I guess what I'm trying to get all of us in this room to understand is not one of us is sitting here this morning because, because someone else in our life was a Christian. That may have been used by God. But you are sitting here this morning and believing who you are in Jesus Christ because the Spirit of God ministered personally to your life saying, believe that Jesus is the Son. Believe in Him, the Savior of the world. It's not because of your parents. It's not because you've been given Christianity with a silver spoon. But it's because and solely because of the Spirit of God working in your life. It's an act of the Spirit of God. So there's no cheap salvation. <laughs> For those of you who have second, third, fourth generation Christianity in your families, there's no cheap salvation here. And uh, I hope that's an encouragement to you. Because Jesus, Jesus told the, the apostles something very specific here, and we're done. But I, I want to I just briefly touch on this. There, there's a specific context now in which we're going to get into right, with this next part where Jesus says, uh, you've received the Spirit, he abides in you, and I believe that's what happens to everyone who is in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is saved. Okay. But then Jesus says here, he abides with you, you see that in verse 17 at the end? And he will be in you. So what's what's Jesus talking about there with that future tense. Well, there's some, there's some manuscripts in the old, uh, older manuscripts, and older manuscripts tend to be better manuscripts, right, that actually change it from he abides in you and he is in you. But there's also plenty of older manuscripts that actually have the reading the way it is, the way our New American Standard Bible and most English translations now translate it. He abides in you and will be in you. Remember, who is he talking about? It's not primarily you and me. Who's he talking about? He's talking about the apostles. He's talking about the very men who will actually write the New Testament. He's talking about the men who will, be, who will preach in Acts chapter 2 and 5,000 souls will get saved, right? 
He's talking about the men who will preach and then more will get saved. He's talking about the men who really the church is founded on. It's founded in Jesus Christ, but Jesus sends the apostles and the Spirit of God authenticates that these are truly sent ones from Jesus. And so there is a specific ministry that Jesus is really calling his apostles to and giving the Spirit for. It's, it's kind of like a uh, Pastor Kent mentioned the theocratic anointing in the Old Testament. Well, this is, this is kind of like an apostolic anointing of the Spirit a little bit. So yes, the Spirit of God is in you and will minister to you. And there's going to become a time in the church that the church will, will enjoy the, the Spirit of God at Pentecost... But there's also a reality that the Spirit of God is ministering and enabling these 11 men and some others in a very specific way as the New Testament unfolds. And so I want us to understand that, but I also want us to understand that just as Jesus gives a special ministry to the Holy Spirit to these men, he also is giving us the Spirit of God, and we are not left without a helper and without a comforter and without someone who ministers truth to us. And so just think about how effective the Spirit of God is. I already mentioned this, Acts chapter 2. There's a powerful way that the apostles and others preach the truth and 3,000 souls get saved. Acts chapter 4, 5,000, and that's really 5,000 men, uh, men get saved there. So it's probably more than that in Acts chapter 4. And, and look at what you hold in your hands this morning. In conclusion, we have, we have the gospel that we're reading of, of Jesus' life. We have the acts of the apostles and of the Holy Spirit. We have the, the entire New Testament. So Jesus is, uh, through the Holy Spirit, helping us this morning with the word of truth that you and I can hold in our hands, that we can memorize, and that we can preach, and that we can comfort with. And then look around this morning and see all the souls that are convinced that this is true because the Spirit of God has convinced us and made his home in your heart. And this is unexplainable. Unexplainable. Folks, this is unexplainable because not one of us in this room this morning believes the truth because our lives are just great and they're just peachy and there's no problems. It's not because our lives are devoid of distress or absent of trouble. Some of us have really borne much grief even recently in our lives. Some of us are burdened and constantly sick. There are some that are live streaming this morning because they cannot make the physical wherewithal to get here. And yet they, though they are weak in the flesh, are strong in the spirit because of the spirit of truth in their life. There are some in this room that have gone through unspeakable grief, losing children. Some in this room can't even have children or carry children full term. Some in this room have financial distress, divorce, abuse in their backgrounds. There is a myriad of reasons, isn't there, why we should not believe the truth. Each one in this room, we could probably stand up and talk about that all day long. 
There are a thousand testimonies saying, do not trust in Jesus. How's that gonna, how simple faith going to make your life better? But the spirit of truth, whom Jesus asks and the Father sends, that same spirit of truth has ministered to your soul. Or, my friend, can minister to your soul this morning, causing you to be born again with a living hope and a light that cannot be snuffed out no matter how strong the wind is out there. He is the spirit of truth. Father, this morning we pray that you would help minister to those in this room who very much see their world as a whirlwind like Job of trouble distress there's there's many testimonies out there and many testifiers out there for us to doubt you and doubt Jesus and doubt our faith we really don't have to look much further than from within to begin doubting our own faith And so we pray this morning that as we have listened to the Spirit of God through the Word of God, that you would minister truth and continue to minister truth to us and bolster us to the very reality that the same Son who walked this earth and was so effectual in healing and raising from the dead is the same Son who asks for the Spirit to come and for the Father who so sufficiently gives him. And so, Father, we pray that you would help us to constantly and consistently live our faith. That's possible because of the spirit of truth. We pray that you would help us to conscientiously live our faith, that, that those of us who, who would say, yes, we love you, we would be able to answer Jesus' condition, that if you love me, you would keep my commandment. And we understand that that is altogether possible. Though we will not do it perfectly, it is altogether possible because we are men and women born of the Spirit and have the Spirit of truth. And So we appreciate that effectual ministry and we ask that you would help us and encourage us as we go about that today. In Jesus' name.